Planning a church and pastoring a church is, is such a, how do you explain it, right? It is, it's a wild journey. It's a scary journey. It's an incredibly difficult journey. And it's also one of the most rewarding journeys you'll ever go on in your life. I mean, it is just truly uh, I, I wouldn't trade it for the world. I'm incredibly, incredibly grateful. And then you throw a pandemic in the middle of it, and it's just, it's nuts. I mean, I, I really don't know how to make sense of it. I wake up every day, and I'm like, Lord, thank you. Lord, I need you. Lord, what am I doing? <laughs> right? Like, it's just been such a wild thing. And, and I'll tell you, I had a friend of mine, and I'm pretty sure you're watching online. I'm not mad at you. You know I'm not mad at you. I love you. But, and this is a great question, and it, and it gave us a great dialogue to talk about. Uh, I had a friend of mine ask me a question. And he'd been with us from, when I say the very beginning, I mean pre-launch, pre-everything, been with us, went through launch with us, and then after launch has been here nearly every Sunday. He asked me. He said, uh, can, I, can I ask you a question? I said, sure, yeah, you and I, we're close. You can ask me anything. He said, how are we doing? And I said, man, we're doing great. I mean, healthy, strong, doing well. And he said, all right, let me ask you this. He said, do you think we'll ever be what we were? Fair question. Good question. He said, do, do you think we'll ever get back to where we were? And I'll tell you, I've been thinking about that for weeks now. It's been rolling around in my soul for weeks. It's been something that I've been praying about. I've been asking the Lord about. And, and I want to tell you, in the, in the sweetness and goodness of the Lord, he met me in Scripture. Like, I don't, I don't know if he's ever met me this clearly and this directly. You know, I'm, I'm asking myself that, well, will we? Will we ever be what we once were? Will we ever get to that place again? And here's where the Lord took me. Ezra chapter 3. Now, let me give you the background. Burnt stones, okay? When Nehemiah and Ezra both in tandem worked through rebuilding the nation of Israel post-Babylonian captivity. Nehemiah's book focuses on rebuilding the city and the gates. Ezra's book focuses on rebuilding the people spiritually and rebuilding the temple, okay? So if you were here during burnt seasons, you know the history of this. 70 years in exile started out with Babylonians, and then it came to the Persians, and then Cyrus the king allowed the children of Israel to come back and to begin to rebuild again. Sanballat, Tobiah, and Geshem were the enemies of the rebuild. You had neighboring cities that didn't want the children of Israel to rebuild. We've been here. We've done this. If you missed it, go find burnt stones on YouTube and watch through the season. But you know the history here, okay? So here is Ezra, and Ezra is getting ready to rebuild the temple under the guise of this question. Let me ask it to you. Do you think we'll ever be what we once were again? Here it is. Ezra 3, 1 through 6. When the seventh month came, when the seventh month came and the Israelites had settled in their towns. The seventh month is important. That's when they celebrated Feast of Tabernacles, Feast of Trumpets, and Day of Atonement. Okay? So, in other words, it's Easter week. It's Good Friday. It's Easter. There are these massive worship celebrations that are taking place, okay? So they're all preparing for these worship celebrations to take place. And it says they've all gathered together. And it said the people assembled together as one in Jerusalem. Let me tell you something. You'll never rebuild anything without unity. You'll never rebuild 
anything without unity. It's the first thing that happened. Now remember, 70 years of exile in different places, scattered all over the place, and they're all brought together for these religious ceremonies that take place. So they're there, they're saying, man, we're ready for the Day of Atonement, we're ready for the Feast of Tabernacles, we're ready for the Feast of Trumpets. Oh, there's that crew that's been living in that area for the past 70 years. What are they doing here? And why are these people here? And where did these people come from? I don't know how I feel being around all of these people that are different than me. But you know what? We've got something more important than our differences to rebuild, and that's the temple of God. So they came together as one. That is such a statement of unity for tribe and tongue that had been divided for 70 years. They had intermarried for 70 years. They had been separated for 70 years, but they were willing to come together as one to rebuild something. You cannot rebuild if you're not willing to unite. You can't rebuild without unity. So they come together as one. Then Joshua, son of Jozadak, and his fellow priest Zerubbabel, son of Shealtiel, and his associates began to build the altar of the God of Israel to sacrifice burnt offerings on it. In accordance with what is written in the law of Moses, the man of God. Verse 3, despite their fear of the peoples around them. Remember back, burnt stones, what's happening? Nothing but opposition. They're trying to rebuild the city. There's nothing but opposition. They're trying to rebuild what God's called them to do. Sanballat, Tobiah, Geshem, neighboring governors, neighboring cities are saying, we don't really want the children of Israel to rebuild anything around here. We're not going to allow it to happen. So they have this desire to rebuild worship. They have an enemy that's coming against them. They have the discomfort of of different tribes coming together but trying to experience unity so they can rebuild worship. And it says, despite the fear of the people around them, they built the altar on its foundation and sacrificed burnt offerings on it to the Lord. Both the morning and evening sacrifices. Then in accordance with what is written, they celebrated the festival of tabernacles with the required number of burnt offerings and prescribed prescribed for each day. Verse 5. After that, they presented the regular burnt offerings, the new moon sacrifices, and the sacrifices for all the appointed sacred festivals of the Lord as well as those who brought as freewill offerings to the Lord. Verse 6, on the first day of the seventh month, they began to offer burnt offerings to the Lord, though, listen to this, the foundation of the Lord's temple had not yet been laid. Now, there's a verses 7 through 9, they go into rebuilding the temple. We'll touch on that in point 2, but right now, we'll skip to the conclusion for sake of introduction. Ezra 3, 10 through 13. It says when the builders laid the foundation of the, when the builders laid the foundation of the temple of the Lord, the priests in their vestments and with trumpets, and the Levites, the sons of Asaph, with cymbals, took their places to praise the Lord as prescribed by David, king of Israel. Verse eleven: with praise and thanksgiving they sang to the Lord, He is good. His love toward Israel endures forever. And all the people gave great shouts of praise to the Lord because the foundations of the house 
of the Lord was laid. Okay, what just happened? They rebuilt a temple on the foundation of the old temple, and everyone came together. They started playing worship music, and they started celebrating it. It was our post-COVID reunion. When we all came back together, we're all worshiping again. We're all celebrating the goodness of God again. We're all in physical presence again. But verse 12, many of the older priests and Levites and family heads these were guys who knew Solomon's temple, who had seen the former temple. There you go. They had seen Solomon's temple in all of its glory. Wept aloud when they saw the foundation of this temple being laid, while many others shouted with joy. It's estimated Solomon spent a modern day six to eight million dollars, eight billion dollars on his temple. Okay? So Solomon builds this temple with modern-day equivalent of 6 to $8 billion. The L.A. Rams Stadium, SoFi Stadium in L.A., is the most expensive sports venue ever built, $5.5 billion. Okay, So imagine Solomon in all of his splendor in this day building the most grandiose, unbelievable temple on this massive foundation. Children of Israel come back together after destruction, after it's been burnt to stones. They come back together, they build a new temple, and everyone's like, wow, we got a temple. Let's worship. Let's sing. But then there's this other group that's sitting around and they're weeping. They're crying. They're asking themselves, will we ever be what we were before. Look at this old temple. Verse 13. No one could distinguish the sound of the shouts of joy from the sound of weeping because the people made so much noise and the sound was heard from far away. Man, I have lived in this for two years. Will we ever be what we once were? Man, we're back together again. We're in the LSC. We had a Christmas Eve. Easter is coming. But do you think we'll ever be in those standing room only days again? Do you think we'll ever be back to that place where we were bringing chairs into the back and we were trying to make room for all the people that were showing up? And, and I live it all the time because we have people who've joined our church during COVID or post-COVID, right? And they're like, man, I love our church. God is doing such great things. I'm looking at them now, right? Like, like, man, it's so great. I love where we're at. I'm meeting so many people. I love what God's doing. And then we have people that have been with us from the very beginning, and they're like, man, it's great. We're back together again. But uh, you remember those days, right? You remember what it was like when, when before COVID had happened? And here I am, and I feel like I'm almost one of each. I feel like I'm worshiping, and I'm weeping. I feel like I'm worshiping. Yes, Lord, you're doing incredible work. And I feel like I'm weeping. I haven't seen them in 24 months. I haven't seen them in nearly two years. I told you I'm preaching to myself, right? You catch what you can catch. But I'm sitting here thinking, man, I remember where they used to sit. I know exactly who they were. And I haven't seen them for years. How do we make sense of all of this? 
How do we make sense of the worshiping and weeping, the excitement and the nostalgia, the hope and the hurt? How do we figure it all out? You know, when we first moved here, we, we lived in an apartment for 12 months, nine years ago, eight, nine years ago. We lived in an apartment for 12 months, and we saved every dime that we could. We were on the hot dog and ramen diet, just saving every penny that we could because we wanted to save up for a down payment for a home. And I remember we found the neighborhood that we wanted to live in. We found the lot that we really wanted to live in. And so we put down $500 earnest money on the lot. And we, we that's our spot. We're going to build our home there. We're going to raise our family there. Two weeks later, the construction company went out of business, the construction trailer disappeared, the phone was disconnected, and we were out 500 bucks and the lot, and I was so upset. Man, I was so mad. It was such a roller coaster of emotion. We were like, great, what are we going to do? They just stole $500 from us. The lot is gone now, and we don't even know what step to take. So we found out a new builder was coming to the neighborhood. And when we found that out, uh, I just started, I called their, their main line, and they were like, yeah, we don't even have a spec sheet or a model home or anything in there. And I said, well, I don't care. We want to build a home. We know that God's opened up this door for us. We want to live on that lot. So they said, okay. Okay, uh, meet our guy down here in Tomball or something. So we went and met him, and he had his spec sheet for homes that they were building there. And he said, hey, listen, I talked to the owner, and we'll put a home together. He really wants to get some holes in the ground in this neighborhood, had a really bad taste in its mouth, and we want to we get some movement happening there. So we'll build your house right now. And we went through the spec sheet, and he had everything set up for us. And then we got to the neighborhood, and the only two lots that he had in the section we wanted to be in happened to be the lot we wanted. So we got the lot, and he started building the home, and then he came to us half way through, and he said, you know, um, I just want you to know something. He said, the spec sheet that I had didn't have all of the upgrades that are required for this neighborhood. This neighborhood has a requirement for it, and you have to do tile floors, granite cabinet, or granite countertops, and hard, hardwood cabinets. He's like, man, we were going to do laminate, and we were going to do uh, these, these false cabinet tops, and all that, but we can't do that in here, so we have to upgrade you. And the owner said, we'll just eat the cost because it was our error. Praise God, right? So we're like, yeah, thank you, Jesus. That's great. And then it gets even better. And then he said, and by the way, uh, the lot that you wanted is a premium lot. So it's actually $1,000 extra for that lot. But we're going to eat that and we're going to give you that lot too because you're the first home in the neighborhood. So we lost 500 We made 1000 right? You see how God works those things out, right? And then we got this home that's all upgraded. And I remember we, we, we would buy Taco Bell and go sit in it when it was just studs and we would sit on the concrete foundation, and we would eat Taco Bell and just dream about what it would be like to have this home built and finished, and now our home is finished. And then six months after our home was finished, the, the Boy Scout camp that is literally right across the street sold, and it became the largest development in the city of Houston, in the history of the city of Houston. They start building half a million and million dollar homes, and I will just tell you, uh, we got blessed on that deal, right? Because our value has exploded. The last home that they built in our neighborhood that's exactly like our home, they built it for double what we built our home for. 
Built it for double. And, and you guys know this, right? Values are going up like crazy. Everything is going absolutely nuts. And here's what I'm thinking. I'm sitting there and I'm thinking to myself, it's the same home that it was eight years ago. We didn't build a bigger home. We didn't change anything in the home. But here's what happened. Everything around the home began to change. And as everything around our home began to change, the value of our home began to increase. And I wonder if this is the question. I wonder if the question is this. It's not about us trying to build bigger and build bigger and build bigger. Maybe it's about us recognizing everything that is happening around us and seeing the value of what God has placed right in the center of our laps. Maybe it's not about, because here's the thing. You see, what happened to the children of Israel is they were weeping over comparison, not over calling. You see that, right? They were weeping over comparison. They were sitting there looking, saying, my gosh, will we ever be what we once were? Look, this is on the foundation of Solomon's temple, and this thing is tiny. And yet the other is saying, we're worshiping again. We're back together again. We believe God's going to bring us all back together again, and great things are going to happen again. And you know what happened? We, we know the story. We know how this ends. The temple that they built is the temple that Jesus taught in. The temple that they built was the temple that the veil tore on on Good Friday. The temple that they built was the temple that launched the gospel of Jesus Christ, that changed everything. What's the message inside of the message? Your temple may not be what it once was, but God can take something smaller and do something bigger with it. Come on, God can take your temple that may not be, your business that may not be what it once was, your family that may not be what it once was, your relationship with your kids that may not be what it once was. God can take what is not what it once was and he can do something greater in his glory and his power by his spirit. Are you with me? Okay, so what do we do? I'm preaching to myself again. What do we need to do? What, what does Luke need to do? Because, man, we're not what we once were. We're not where we once were. We're not living in the time that we were once in. What do we do? How do we fix our mindset? How do we transition this thing? Let me give you. Number one, we reestablish worship. Number one, first and foremost, if we're going to rebuild in the space that God wants us to rebuild, and if we're going to do what God wants us to do, we've got to reestablish worship. Probably my favorite part of, of what this chapter gives us, Ezra 3, 3 through 6. It says, despite their fears of people around them, despite all of the pressure around them, they built the altar on its foundations, and sacrificed burnt offerings on it to the Lord, both the morning and evening sacrifices. Then in accordance with what is written, they celebrated the festival of tabernacles with the required number of burnt offerings prescribed for each day. After that, they presented the regular burnt offerings, the new moon sacrifices, and the sacrifices for all the appointed sacred festivals of the Lord. Now listen, as well as. 
They did everything required of the, ta- of the feasts of the day. They did it all required, and then they brought free will offerings to the Lord. You know what they said? They said, we're not just going to come to church on Sunday. I'm not just going to worship on Sunday. I'm going to go every day. I'm going to worship every day. I'm going to bring offering after offering, even when it's not required of me. I'm going to bring it before the Lord, and I'm going to bring free will offerings. I'm going to bring burnt offerings. I am going to worship at this altar every day, whether or not God requires me to, because I know this. If I'm going to be in the space that God wants me to be, I'm going to establish the worship that God wants me to have, regardless of fear, Regardless of worry, regardless of destruction, regardless of those who are asking the questions, will the temple ever be of Solomon's glory? It says, on the first day of the seventh month, they began offering burnt offerings to the Lord, though the foundation of the Lord's temple had not yet been laid. What was their number one priority? It wasn't to build the temple. Isn't that incredible? They come together, they go to the foundation of the temple, and the number one thing they do is said, before we begin any work, we're establishing worship. Before we start building things, can you imagine how excited everyone is? Let's build the temple. We've got permission from Cyrus, king of Persia. We've got the the wood coming in from Cyrian Titan. We've got all of these things happening. Let's rebuild the temple. And can you hear the priests of the day standing up and saying, before we start, We have to re-establish worship. The number one step we have is to re-establish worship. Man, my home is a mess right now. I'm talking spring break hit us hard. Okay? We had time change, which doesn't help any child, right? Multiply it by three. Time change happens, and then spring break happens. And these little monsters are allowed to sleep in, right? So they're already tired from spring break, and now they're sleeping in all day. And I'm telling you, it is, I, I had to slip out. I don't even know where you all were. I had to slip out at the last worship song because I can't preach if I don't know if my family's okay. And I called in, and I was like, are, are you alive right now? I said, yeah, we're, we're walking in right now. Okay, bye. I, I can go preach. Like, they don't even, Zion is sleeping until 10 a.m. I'm having to drag her out of bed. I mean, drag her, pick her up, carry her down, drop her on the couch, and by 11, she's functioning, right? Even Zadok and Canaan, my two early birds, are sleeping until like 8, 8.30. Anna doesn't even know what time it is until it's lunchtime because one of the kids will be like, Mommy, I'm hungry. And she's like, how are you hungry? It's only 12.30? Like, what happened? Where did the day go, right? We are a mess. So you know what I did? I'm that Enneagram type 8 really hardwired mindset. I'm like, I'm going to fix this before Monday. Monday's going to be a mess, and we ain't having tardies in this house. So I start going around the house, waking people up early. I popped into my son's room, and I said, son, wake up. And he said, dad, dad, do I have school today? I said, no, you're on spring break. And he said, well, then why are you waking me up at school time, dad? It's like eight o'clock. It's like, why are you, why are you waking me up at school time? I said, because you got to get in the rhythm now. If I don't get you waking up again now, come Monday, we're in big trouble. This morning, I walked in the bedroom, I flipped on the light, and Anna is like, shut the light off. I was like, babe, we got to go to church. We got to get up. We got to reestablish some things quick because if we try to do it on Monday morning, we're late. 
Listen, there are some times where you have to reestablish worship in your life. All of a sudden, boundaries have gone crazy. You've spent a week at the beach or out of town, and your worship is messed up, and your time with God is messed up, and your devotional hours are messed up. You have to reestablish worship before you begin the work. Because here's what happens. If you, if you start working before reestablishing worship, you won't worship God. You'll worship the work. If you all of a sudden, okay, no, I don't have time to worship, I've got to work. Then all of a sudden you start worshiping the work. What happens when you worship the work? You begin to worship yourself into destruction. Look at the children of Israel. How did they wind up in Babylonian captivity? They worshiped the work. They worshiped themselves. Tower of Babel, what did they say? Look at the wonderful work that we have done and God had to destroy it. Deuteronomy chapter 8, what's the warning? When you enter into the promised land, be sure to give God all the glory. Because if you look at fields that you, did not, that you did not sow, if you look at water that you did not reap, if you look at houses that you did not build, and you begin to give yourself glory. That was the warning of Deuteronomy chapter 8. You have to reestablish worship before the work. So they reestablish worship in their place. What happened? What was the first thing the enemy tried to steal from Jesus? It's worship. Matthew chapter 4. He gets tempted in the wilderness, in the desert. And what does the devil say? I will give you all of these things if you will bow down and worship me. David Pulling wrote a great devotional this morning about this. What does it say over and over and over in the book of Judges? Each one of them did as they saw fit. When you don't have worship and you're trying to do work, you will worship the work. But when you reestablish worship, you are ready to do what God has called you to do. Honestly, I think one of the, one of the reasons I feel like we are stronger than we've ever been as a church because we came back and the goal was not get everybody back. The goal was not get everybody back, start calling everybody, hound everybody to get back, do big events to get them back, do whatever we can to get them back. The goal was reestablish worship. We've got to reestablish corporately gathering together, worshiping together. We've got to reestablish praise among our people. And then the second thing we see is actually do the work. I love this because we can get so spiritual that we forget there's sowing and reaping involved. We can become so spiritual that I'm going to pray for God to sow it and I'm going to pray for God to reap it and I'm just going to receive it, right? No, the one who's supposed to sow is you. The one who reaps what they sow is you, right? There's work to be done. What does he say? Ezra 7, 3, 7 through 8. It says, then they gave money to the masons and carpenters and gave food and drink and olive oil to the people of Sidon and Tyre so that they would bring cedar logs by sea from Lebanon to Joppa as authorized by Cyrus, king of Persia. Verse 8, in the second month of the second year after their revival at the house of God in Jerusalem, Zerubbabel, son of Shealtiel, Joshua, son of Zodak, and all the rest of the people, the priests and the Levites and all who had returned from the captivity in Jerusalem began the work. They appointed Levites 20 years old and older to supervise the building of the house 
of the Lord. I love this next passage, okay? Zechariah was a prophet during this time, and he was prophesying to the people. He was one of the priests and one of the prophets. And listen to what he says about the rebuilding of the temple when he's speaking to Zerubbabel. It says, Zechariah 4, 6 through 10. Then he said to me, this is what the Lord says to Zerubbabel. It is not by force, nor by strength, but by my spirit, says the Lord of heaven's armies. How are you going to do what God called you to do? It's not by might, not by strength, but by his spirit. How are you going to rebuild what's been broken? Not by might, not by strength, but by his spirit. He says, it's by my spirit, says the Lord of heaven's armies. Verse 7, nothing. Not even a mighty mountain will stand in Zerubbabel's way. It will become a level plain before him. And when Zerubbabel sets the final stone of the temple in place, the people will shout, may God bless it. May God bless it. Then another message came to me from the Lord. Zerubbabel is the one who laid the foundation of this temple and he will complete it. Then you will know that the Lord of Heaven's armies has sent me. Verse 10, we quote this all of the time. Here it is in context. Do not despise these small beginnings. Don't despise the small beginnings. If you're in a place where you're rebuilding something right now, don't despise small beginnings. If you're in a place where you're looking at your life and you're saying, my temple is not what it used to be. Man, it used to be it used to be like Solomon's, overflowing with glory, as incredible as it could possibly get. If I posted it to Instagram, everybody would like it. And look at it now. It's a lot smaller. It's a lot weaker. It's not as strong as it once was. It's not as glorious as it once was. Do not despise these small beginnings. Why? For the Lord rejoices to see the work begin. The Lord is rejoicing in seeing you begin a new work. The Lord is rejoicing in seeing you start again. The Lord was rejoicing when we were in the Old Town Theater just trying to get people back together and, and do some form of church again. The Lord was rejoicing when we opened these doors back open and said, you know what, we're going to give it our best shot with distance seating and masks mandated and hand sanitizer everywhere and people walking around with fog machines, fog and chairs and all kinds of other stuff. I mean, you don't remember it, I do. Like, I was weeping and worshiping at the same time. I was standing there like, praise God, we're back together. Wow. Is this what the future holds, right? But God was rejoicing. God was celebrating. God was saying, here we go, dear child. Here we go. I know it's on the foundation of something that used to be much bigger, but you build. And you keep building. And you push forward building because the Lord rejoices to see the work begin, to see the plumb line in Zerubbabel's hand. You reestablish worship, and then you do the work. You know, my, I, I got a neighbor 
who, I mean, bless his soul. I'm out in my yard, right? It's, it's springtime. It's time to get that thing tightened up, right? So I'm out there. I'm pulling all these weeds. I'm crawling around on my knees, pulling weeds. I mow the whole thing. I trim the whole thing. I aerate my yard. I put down weed and feed everywhere. Got it looking ready for spring. One good rain, and I'm going to have one of the best yards in my neighborhood, right? So I got the whole thing ready, cared for it. About the time I finish up, my neighbor comes out, and he says, he looks over at mine, and he says, I gave up on my yard. I said, I gave up on it. Yeah. He said, it rains. Mowers come. Mow. Still no grass. Doesn't grow. I'm like, are you for real? Are you for real? Like, you know what he's doing? He's standing in his house looking out his window trying to reap a blessing that he's not sowing. You didn't give up on it. You never started. You can't give up on what you didn't start. Like, you can't quit on what you didn't start. You have to put some work into some things. Listen, you may be in the middle of rebuilding a temple, and sitting around and only worshiping isn't going to rebuild that thing. Reestablishing worship is the foundation for it. But then you've got to get your hands dirty. You've got to start working again. Sometimes we get paralyzed in despair that we'll worship, but we're just scared to rebuild. Worried about what people may think. Worried about how something may come across. Worried about what other people were thinking. Remember, I'm preaching to myself, right? So I'll preach to myself. I remember standing there first Sunday back, and I refused to turn around and look. Why? So I was worried to be empty. I was worried that other people would be thinking, man, remember what the temple used to be like? Man, remember the days of the old LSC when it was packed back to the curtains and we had to bring in chairs and it was standing room only? And I remember the enemy slowly trying to steal my desire to work, my desire to serve, my passion to preach, my heart for what God's doing, just trying to steal it by little lie after little lie, and then all of the sudden, God, and, and only by His grace, because I was a mess during that time, I decided, you know what, I'm going to work. I'm going to work, and I'm going to put the work in, and we're going to see God build what He wants to build. We reestablish worship. We begin working. Now listen to this. This is really great. Ezra 3, 10 through 13. When the builders laid the foundation of the temple of the Lord, the priests in their vestments and with trumpets and the Levites, the sons of Asaph with symbols, we just read this, took their places to praise the Lord as prescribed by David, king of Israel. With praise and thanksgiving, they sang to the Lord, He is good. His love toward Israel endures forever. And all the people gave a great shout of praise to the Lord. That's important. Circle that word, shout of praise. Gave a shout of praise to the Lord because the foundation of the house of the Lord was laid. But many of the older priests and Levites and family heads who had seen the former temple wept aloud when they saw the foundation of this temple being laid while others shouted for joy. Man, I get stuck in that moment every time. Imagine a temple where people have come together to worship and some are crying. Worship 
and crying in the same room. No one could distinguish the sounds of the shouts of joy, circle that again, from the sound of weeping because the people made so much noise. Circle much noise again. And the sound was heard from far away. This is really not a good translation of this verse because here is what Ezra is communicating. He's saying there were these shouts of joy, then there were these minors of weeping. It's a minor word. He's saying there are shouts of joy, minors of weeping. But he said at the very end, you could not hear the weeping. Why? Because the shouts of joy were louder than the weeping. And it says it was heard from far away. In other words, he said there was weeping and there was worshiping and the worship outlasted the weeping. There was weeping, there was worshiping, And the worship outlasted the weeping. It is okay to come before the Lord and weep. Just make sure your worship's louder. It is okay to come before the Lord and weep about what's happening. You just better make sure a praise rises up out of that weeping that is louder than your, that praise rises up out of your worship that is louder than the weeping that is going on. In my home, I'll I'll give you a tip. Uh, Parents of three or more, where are you? Where are you? Let me see you. You guys look around. You guys who aren't raising your hands, these are the people that need prayer. These These are the ones, three or more. These people need prayer, right? Uh, These are the ones who have had an absolute week, I promise you. Uh, We have a tactic in our home with three kids because you can't can't control the chaos. You just try to to mitigate it and manage it a little bit, right? But it's going to be crazy. Um, We do this thing in our home. We turn on worship music when things bust loose. We do. And I mean, it is like clockwork. The other day in our home, uh, Zadok was crying. He wanted juice or he wanted something from his brother. So I took it from Canaan. Canaan got upset. Canaan started crying because I took what it was his and I gave it to Zadok. And then Zion hears all of the crying. So Zion is running around yelling and she's putting her hand on people's mouths trying to get them to quit. And they're getting more mad. And the whole house is starting to scream and cry and yell. And Anna and I look at each other and Anna says, Alexa, turn on songs by Art Creative. And then all Life Giver starts playing, right? And Anna's like, Alexa, turn the volume all the way up. So now it's just booming. And all you hear is Life Giver over the sounds of cries. And we just keep going about it. We keep working. All of a sudden, one of them stops crying. Another one stops crying. Literally, Zion goes and lays on the couch. Canaan is sitting there like you guys are doing this again. Zadok is like drunk toddler, like walking around. like He, just, he sees us doing it. He, did, he even did this the other day. He got like this. He started going like this. I was like, Lord, I, shut off, life giver. Like, life giver's playing and my toddler's dropping it like it's hot. Like, <laughs> what are we doing in this home right now? He learned it from his mom. Like, how did all of this happen, right? Like, the whole place. Go, but here's what happens every time. We don't turn the worship off until the weeping is over. We don't shut the worship off until the weeping is over. So now you know in my home, if you're going to start crying, you're going to listen to worship until those tears are dry. You're going to start weeping, you're going to listen to worship until those tears are dry because our worship outlasts our weeping. Our worship is louder than our weeping. 
So we reestablish worship. We do the work. And then we worship louder than the weeping. Look at where we end. What a message to me. The Spirit remains. Haggai was also a prophet during this time. And he is prophesying in this exact moment. Listen, if you're tracking with me and you're saying, my temple is not what it used to be. My life is not what it used to be. My relationship is not what it used to be. My time with my kids is not what it used to be. My marriage is not what it used to be. Our business is not what it used to be. Our church is not what it used to be. What do we do? Because I want to worship, but I also want to weep. I want to cheer. I want to celebrate, but I also want to cry. Listen to what Haggai says. Haggai 2, 3 through 5. What a message. Who of you is left who saw this house in its former glory? All the older Israelites who were weeping. Steps right up into the temple and he says, who of you is left? Who of you were here pre-COVID? Who of you were here pre-COVID? He's saying, who was here pre-COVID? Who remembers those days? Who remembers what it was like? He says, "Who, who of you is left in this house in its former glory? How does it look to you now? How does it look now? Who of you had a temple before, and that temple is dramatically different now? How does it look? What do you see when you look around? What goes through your mind? Listen to this. Does it not seem like to you nothing? Does it not seem to you like nothing? Who of you remembers this old temple in all of its glory? What does it look like now? Does it seem like nothing? Does it seem like your life is purposeless now? Does it seem like you have no future now? Does it seem like you're drowning in uncertainty now? What's it look like? But now be strong. But now be strong, Zerubbabel, declares the Lord. Be strong, Joshua, son of Josadak, the high priest. Be strong, all you people of the land, declares the Lord. And work, for I am with you, declares the Lord Almighty. Verse 5. Take this home today. This is what I covenant with you when you came out of Egypt. And my spirit remains among you, don't fear. My spirit remains among you, don't fear. The temple may not be what it used to be. The work may be much more than you bargained for. And everyone may be looking at you saying, I don't know if they stand a chance. Be strong. Be strong in that moment. Why? Because the Spirit of God remains. The Spirit of God remains with you. He's still with you. Whether or not the temple is what it used to be, you be strong because the Spirit of God remains. And He can take this new temple, this smaller temple, this different looking temple, and He can do something so much more than He could have with the last one. Because the Spirit remains. 
I thought of this just this morning, actually, my baseball coach. Uh, I talked to him last week. He is an absolute nut. He drinks a two-liter of Diet Coke every day and smokes three packs of cigarettes a day. He's in perfect health. I don't understand him. He's just a maniac, right? I love him. He was like a father to me. Uh, He was like one of the men who raised me. And so I'm talking to him on the phone, and we're just laughing about old stuff. My goodness, I caused caused him so many problems. I did so many things, so much trouble. And one of the times— he had me and his son over to his house to help him paint his house. I was like, yeah, I would, I would love to do that. That'd be awesome, right? Never done it before. So I'm, I'm like 12, 13 years old at the time, and I get there, and he's got this, this long extension roller, and he puts me on the side of the house. He puts his son on the front, and he's on the other side. And so I get it, and I thought it'd be really funny to paint my name on the side of his house, right? So I took this long extension roller, and I mean 18, 20 feet long. I paint a giant L-U-K-E. And I was like, oh, that is so awesome. So it was time for us to go to lunch. He's like, all right, I'm, I'm, buying, you guys, I'm buying you lunch for helping me paint my house. So we leave, don't think a thing about it, come back. And I mean, the sun has been baking on that. And I painted it thick, man. I'm talking big, thick, beautiful painted Luke on the side of his house. So we come around the corner, enter into the cul-de-sac, and he sees it. I can't, I can't say in church what he said when he saw it, but he sees it. And then he, he calls me a name, and I can't tell you the name he called me because we're in church. And he says, what did you do? And I said, isn't it great? He said, no, 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 no. He parks, he gets out, he's, no, 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 he gets the roller, and he starts trying to roll over, and it had long dried by this time. I mean, long dried, crusted into the side of his house. He's rolling over, and he's, no, 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 he's trying to cover it up. He can't get it. By the time he's done, we go look at it, and I mean, you can clearly see over the paint my name in the side of his house, and every Every time I talk to him, I'm like, hey, you've been thinking about me? I don't know. Why why would I be thinking about you? Because my name's on the side of your house. (laughs) Like every time I talk to him, this was 25 years ago, 20 years ago. I'm talking to him on the phone last week, and I was like, hey, you've been thinking about me? You shut up, you little this. Because you can still see the name. Years have gone by. Paint has gone over the top of it. It doesn't matter. When the sun hits it just right, there it is on the side of his house. L-U-K-E. One of my prized trophies. It's just there. It's not going away. You need to know the same thing about the Spirit of God. When you're walking through a challenge and you're wondering, how on earth am I going to make it through? I feel like weeping and I feel like worshiping at the same time. In fact, sometimes I do both. Sometimes I weep and I worship and I weep and I worship and I don't know what to do. Here's what you need to know. Be strong. The Spirit remains. God is still with you. He's still with you. The temple may not be as big as it was before. It may not be as glorious as it was before. It may not be as powerful as it was before. It may not have the same people involved in it as it was before. Your marriage may not be what it once was. Your family may not be what it once was. Your relationship with your kids may not be what it once was. Your business may not be what it once was. But be strong. The Spirit remains. He hasn't gone anywhere. He's still there. He's still with you. 
He's still walking with you. Reestablish worship. Do the work. Worship louder than the weeping and live in the promise that the Spirit remains. He is still here.